Today we start a new series of talks looking at faith that we've called Heroes, particularly looking at the heroes of a chapter in the book of the Bible, Hebrews 11. We love heroes, don't we? My kids are addicted to watching Marvel and DC superheroes films. Secretly, I would like to be one just so I can wear underpants on the outside. Just kidding. We also love stories of true heroes, real-life ones. This COVID season has brought to light the inherent ability of mankind to do good for a neighbour. Heroes of the present. In a village I live next to, one couple, Adam and Mary, just before lockdown, opened a high street store selling plastic eco-friendly products and food. But just as they were starting, lockdown hit. This was just a young couple being innovative and environmentally conscious, taking a risk really and, and very vulnerable. So when the shops closed, they could have quite easily sunk. But instead, they were probably the first ones in the village that started helping those who were most at risk. They got stuck into galvanising the community to support one another and using their own socially and environmentally conscious business. They were, very, uh, they were very much a catalyst to the whole area, actually. In, in fact, the other day, they won the Daily Telegraph Lockdown Award for Britain's most innovative small business. Well done. Heroes, lots of hero stories like that, don't we? We thank them. We remember our heroes. In fact, week after week on Thursdays, you have banged your pans, played your trumpets, sang your hearts out and clapped loudly in your streets and windows for our lockdown heroes. So what is it about what is there about them, these heroes? Well, psychologists tell us that hero stories inspire us. They calm our fears, give us strength in the midst of difficulty. They nourish and foster important values of perseverance and resilience. In fact, this hero storytelling is a community-building activity. Heroes call us to become heroes ourselves. They're not out of reach. And what Hebrews 11 presents is a series of biblical heroes that pleased God in their day. Chapter, tw chapter 12 of Hebrews concludes all of this. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, heroes of faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily tangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This next season is a season of faith jubilee, a season of believing God, promised land thank thinking that tears down Jericho walls of challenge and impossibility. Isaiah 54 reads, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. Metaphorically, this scripture that is prophetically shaping us going forward is about faith too. So let's read the start of Hebrews 11 verses 1 to 3. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about, about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So what is, Bibl so what is biblical faith? Well, it isn't fingers crossed, always look on the bright side of life kind of faith. An attitude of trust, if you like, divorced from any corresponding object of trust. That's not biblical faith, that's fairy tale faith, that's fruit machine faith. It's not a blind faith either. A kind of take your brains out, follow the crowd, do what you're told kind of faith. No, Christian faith is complex and profound, actually. In a nutshell, it's something that begins with understanding, thinking, cognition, which then leads to personal conviction. I believe this. And then finally completes itself with commitment, with a transformed life in action out there. And unless all three of these parts are present, cognition, conviction, commitment, it's not Christian faith. The atheist Sam Harris doesn't agree. He writes this, we have names for people who have many beliefs for which there is no rational justification. When their beliefs are extremely common, we call them religious. Otherwise, they are likely to be called mad, psychotic or delusional. But there's a problem with Sam Harris's conclusion. And it stems, I believe, from a lack of thinking. Faith in Jesus across the world is growing exponentially fat. Not because people are suddenly starting to think less or ignore science and rationality more. People aren't getting dumber. No, it's quite the opposite. It's happening because people are thinking and reasoning the Christian faith out in the midst of our fallen, confusing coronavirus, deforestation, George Floyd, Al-Qaeda, messed up world. Our previous unbelief now won't do. And so there's a question today that we need to answer that the writer of Hebrews calls us to answer right at the beginning of chapter 11. Before we meet the heroes one by one themselves in other weeks in later verses. And that question is how are thinking and faith so vitally dynamic and intertwined? So let's work from the bottom up, shall we? Who's ever had a takeaway? How do you decide which one to go to? Well, most of you would research it, wouldn't you? You'd read about it on, a web on website reviews. You'd ask questions. How far away is it? Is it open? Is it hygienic? Has it been shut down because of rats? Any other approach really would be irresponsible. And in a way, faith is no different. Much more important, of course. That's pretty straightforward, I know, really it's, it's a straightforward thing. However, most non-believing people haven't even done that. Try Alpha tomorrow, a great opportunity to explore and question. So let's take verse 1, shall we, to start. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, something very similar. He says, we live by faith, not by sight. What are these writers saying? Well, certainly they aren't saying that we live by faith and not by reasoning or thinking. Actually, they're contrasting faith and sight, 
what we see as two opposite things. This really came home to me when I visited the dentist about two years ago now. Before, I'd last been to the dentist when I was eight years old and they took loads of my teeth out. So I never went back again. Why would you? However, years on, I was encouraged by my kids to give it a go again. Are you scared, Daddy? They said, don't be daft. And so after my initial assessment, they decided that I was going to need a root canal procedure. This is where they bore a hole into your tooth and gouge out all the gunk and dead bits of decay and Toblerone and Haribo and jelly babies and all that good stuff, all done under local anaesthetic. I questioned the dentist about it. He said I wouldn't feel a thing. It was a straightforward procedure, he said. We do this all the time. When I got back home, I googled it. I asked my dentist friend about it. Everything was fine. Through reasoning, my faith was now strong. Then came the day of the operation. I walked into the room. Suddenly, the chemical smells hit me. I was greeted by two people with headscarves, head torches and masks and gowns and gloves. At the side of the chair, I noticed some bright, shiny operating tools. There were straps on the side of the chair. What were they for? I was starting to bottle it. What was happening? I was losing my faith. How come? I'd done all the research. I'd asked all the questions. I'll tell you why. Because of my sight. Because of what I could see. So now what was I to do? Run, of course. No. I needed to get my faith back. How? By thinking again. I reasoned the situation out again. I remembered what I was told by the dentist and my friend. And I had it done. Brave daddy. Well done. What, I, what did I learn? Well, firstly, jelly babies are bad for your teeth, even though they taste so darn good. Secondly, the way to renew my faith was to renew my thinking. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. Listen, as recession hits, as hardship dawns on us, when the going gets tough, we rethink. God's spirit helps us. The Bible helps us. Christian community helps us. Prayer helps us. We drill down deep into the full riches of understanding all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge so that we keep ourselves not walking by sight, but rather strengthened in the faith as we were taught, rooted and built up in Jesus, overflowing with thankfulness and hope. See the next verse, verse 3, Hebrews eleven three. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. You know what? If you think about that, to come to that conclusion takes a lot of thinking. As Christians, we have looked at the visible, the physical, the material world that we live in. We've looked at 
people. We've looked up into the stars. We've looked at wars and unrest. We've looked at beauty and love and joy. And we have come to the conclusion that what we see is not just self-explanatory. God is, God is the one that makes sense of all these things. One scientific philosopher wrote, the way that scientists decide a theory is the one that is really right and is really true is by picking the one with the greatest explanatory power. And that's what, the, what Hebrews 11.3 is saying we have done. In fact, the whole dialogue of Hebrews, the writer is saying that all these Old Testament heroes, as we shall see over the coming weeks, had far less evidence to go on than we do today. And still, they came to the correct conclusion. We have the New Testament. We have science. We have technology. We live on this side of Jesus and all that he said and did and changed. We have far better thought through reasons to believe. Dr. Francis Collins, former director of the Human Genome Project, said, I had arrived at an answer to the most important question we humans have to deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was meant to be a scientist, he said. In one of the, book, in one of the books of the Bible, John 1, the apostle John, a big thinker, opens his account of Jesus, describing him as the word of God. He says this, John 1, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was God. And then he goes on to say, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, Jesus, who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Sounds a bit clumsy to us, doesn't it? Why is he calling Jesus the word? Well, in the Greek, word was translated logos, from which we get our words like logic or reasoning or thinking stuff out. And this term word, logos, reasoning, was very popular amongst the Greek culture of the day. It's how people argued their case. It's how people wielded power. It's how people became prominent figures of society. Logos, logic, reasoning was very important in Jesus' day. And so John breaks into this worldview of reasoning and rationality uh, by describing not hypotheses and theories, but a real person. Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is the way. He's saying if you want answers, if you want logic, if you want the very reason for being, don't come to your worldly thinking. Don't come to your culturally prejudiced thinking. Don't come to your self-centered me, me, me reasons either. He's also saying don't come to a set of rules and regulations which you can never live up to anywhere. That would just wear you down and make you feel guilty all the time. No, he say, he's saying, if you want answers, if you want faith, if you want explanatory power, the greatest explanatory power, come to him, Jesus, a living person, the very meaning of life, what life is all about, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, the big banger himself. 
That's the magnificent invitation of Hebrews 11, folks. An opportunity to rethink, reevaluate, reimagine what life could really be. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Philippians 14, 4, 13 says, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper and you not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. John 8, 32 says, And you will know the truth and the truth will definitely set you free. These are the truth promises of God. This is what faith brings to the party. This is life to the full, resurrection life, a life that beats sin, shame, guilt, fruitfulness and death itself. As you can probably see, I am really looking forward to what God is going to do in these coming weeks. I hope you are too. Let's be heroes together, shall we? Mm -hmm.